Take your Bibles now and turn uh, to two places. I want you to put your uh, finger in at John chapter 3. We're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're just kind of walking through the gospel of John together as a church family. And then I want you to find the Old Testament book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, put your finger in there at uh, Numbers chapter 21. If you don't have a, a Bible here today, all of the verses, or just about all of them, are inside the note sheet that we give you uh, each week, and you can read along here, and they'll also come up on the, the jumbotrons. And as usual, uh, if you don't own a Bible, just go into the altar room, go into the altar room over there in the venue, and we'll give you a, a Bible. We wanna, we wanna put the Bible in your hands if you don't own a copy of it. This past week, as I was preparing and studying and praying and all that, for whatever reason, I began to um, remember two times in my life that were super weighty, and they were both when I was in high school. They were uh, two times when, when I had some really deep thoughts and questions about life and all of that. I, I didn't know the Lord. Um, and for whatever reason, I, I don't know how it all works, but, but here I was remembering these two moments. The first one was when I was a freshman. My, my mom and dad each had life-threatening surgeries that they went through. My mother was diagnosed with lung cancer, and she was going to have to have half of her lung taken out. This is 40, you know, five years ago or better. And also at that same time, my dad was uh, diagnosed with his, his heart all plugged up and he had to go have open heart surgery. They didn't do open heart surgery in Modesto at that time. And so they actually transported him by ambulance over to Santa Clara Medical Center. And that's where he had his surgery done. This is back in the days when he was done, he was laying in a bed for like two weeks. Now, 10 minutes after surgery, they got you up walking around. Back then they didn't do that. He laid in the bed for quite, quite a while. And so both of these surgeries came with, within just months of each other. And I can remember sitting down with my mom and dad. They were divorced at the time and, and talking with doctors and family members. And this was serious stuff. My, my, you know, hey, mom could die on the operating table. This is pretty serious. Your father could die. You know, every surgery's you know, dangerous. But when you start talking about taking a lung out, that's pretty, pretty serious. You talk about open heart surgery back then, that was pretty serious. Didn't do a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, one of the things that, that that moment in life did was I began to think about them dying and what does that mean for me? What does it mean if my mom dies or my dad dies when you're a freshman, all of a sudden, you know, death had kind of overwhelmed me. And then I began to think about what happens when I die? What, 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 what happens? I, I was totally consumed for a little season of my life with death 
Where would my, where would my mom and dad go when they die? What, what happens when I die? Is this, is this all there is, you know, when you, when you take your last breath here on planet Earth, is it just kind of over? They just put you in a pine box, stick you, you know, six feet under the ground, and then, you know, in time, the worms just kind of get you? Is that, is that it? Is there a place called heaven? Is there a place called hell? And if there is a, a place called hell, you know, then, man, how do you stay out of there? I mean, I had all these questions. It was really a dark, dark uh, period of my life, my freshman year in, in high school. Thousands of years ago, in one of the oldest recorded documents of human history, a man by the name of Job asked this question. If a man dies, will he live again? In other words, what happens when you die? That's what Solomon, uh, that, that's what Job is saying there. Well, what happens? Is that it? When you take your last breath, is it all over? That, that was written 4,000 years ago, and when I was a freshman, I was wrestling around with that question. It's a question that people wrestle around with literally since the beginning of time. Some of you might be thinking about it right now. And what does happen? Maybe you don't know, maybe you're not sure. You see, one of the things that we all face is death, right? Ecclesiastes chapter one says, generations come and generations go. In other words, people are born and then they die, right? I, I, I've had, you know, great grandparents who I never knew and I had grandparents I never knew. They died before I ever knew them, but they were a generation and they came and they went and here I am, right? And there's coming a moment when I'm gonna die. Generations just come and go, people die. Ecclesiastes chapter three says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. There's a time to be born. I know when it was for me. January 25th, 1961, there was, there was the time for me to be born and there's a time when I'm gonna die. Don't know when that is. We all know the time when we were born. We just don't know the time we're gonna die, but it's gonna come. Ecclesiastes chapter seven says, death is the destiny of every man, every woman, you know, the living should take this to heart. Solomon said, hey, look, you're gonna die, so while you're alive, why don't you give it a thought? Why don't you think a little bit about what happens when you die? In fact, I did that my freshman year. I didn't know Solomon, never read this verse, but that's exactly what I was doing my freshman year. Man, what happens when you die? Because I didn't know, man, it just caused a lot of you know, angst within my, my soul. Death is the one appointment, you know, we're all gonna keep. You don't have to put that one down in your day timer. You don't have to put that one in your appointment book. 
It's coming. There's no biblical truth more obvious to people than the inevitability of death. Every town in the world has at least one cemetery, right? Anywhere you go on the globe, anywhere, just go home, spin your globe, put your finger down, and they've got a cemetery in that town. They're everywhere. Everywhere. Ecclesiastes 8 says, no man has the power over the wind to contain it, so no one has the power over the day of his death. That's true. Anyway, this question, what happens when you die, was something that I obsessed over for quite a while. Lost a lot of sleep. Now the second moment that I spent some time remembering was when I was a junior in high school. I I was home one night and I turned on the TV and, and there was Billy Graham talking about Jesus. And probably the reason why I remembered this is because of the Graham tour coming through California. And I've been praying for it a lot and talking about it a lot. And so I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it came to my mind. Now, for those of you that are younger, there was a time when I was a kid where there were three stations, 310 and 13. (laughs) Now there's like 500 stations, which I love. When you got ADD, you love just going through all the stations, you know. And I can track all the TV shows. I I can change channels and watch them all because of my ADD. I can track them all. My, my, My family can't. That's why they hate it when I have the remote. They're not as gifted as I am. Uh, <laughs> you can only go with one show at one time. I have different abilities. <laughs> but I certainly remembered uh, going through the stations, and I didn't know the Lord back then, but everybody knew who Billy Graham was. Everybody. Today, everybody knows who Billy Graham is. Doesn't matter whether you know Jesus Christ or not. You can almost go to any place on the globe and mentioned the name Billy Graham, and people have probably heard the name Billy Graham. And I remember he was on there, you know, talking about Jesus. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, okay, what? Okay, what? Why did Jesus come? Well, why did God have to send his son? You know, what is that all about? Okay, you know, Billy, he rose from the grave, okay. What does that mean? I'm a junior in high school trying to figure out how to pass, you know, Spanish. And you're talking about Jesus walking out of a tomb. So what? What do I care? What does that have to do with my life? See, I that moment because I didn't have the Holy Spirit in me. I couldn't, I couldn't figure things out. The great teacher wasn't living inside of me. I couldn't discern things. Just because it was a truth, I wasn't able to figure it out. I was blinded to the truth. So I had all these questions. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when you've had questions like this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. All I know is that a lot rides on what you think about Jesus. A lot rides on it. 
So with all this said, we're, we're gonna meet a man in our, our text today who was a lot like me, and probably a lot like many of you, and that he had lots of questions. He had lots of questions about Jesus, and his name was Nicodemus. He was really a, he was a good man. He was a, a moral man, he was a super religious man, he was, he was a, a religious leader, he, he, he was the religious leader. I mean, this guy was at the top of the food chain as it related to uh, religion. And he had lots of questions about Jesus. And so he sets up a meeting with Jesus. So let's read the story, okay? It's found in John chapter three, the first place I had you, you know, put your finger, so to speak. Verse one says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We know. In other words, it wasn't just Nicodemus. He, he was there probably asking on behalf of a lot of the religious leaders, the, the council that he would have been a part of. There were lots of conversations going on. And so here's Nicodemus. He's coming and he asked the question. He says, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if, if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be, to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh, Nicodemus gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. Do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Most Christians don't even recognize that verse right there because they're so enamored with the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. God has come into the world, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And I'm gonna stop right there. I'm only gonna scratch the surface of what's here so you guys can all have a great time studying this on your own this week at home. But I do wanna focus in on one thing. In my opinion, verse 14 is the key to unlocking the story behind Jesus. Verse 14 again says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, So the Son of Man, so Jesus must be lifted up that everybody who believes in him may have eternal life. Now here's the deal. Most of you have no idea what that story is about, Moses lifting up a snake in the desert. In fact, until I pointed it out, you went, huh? I didn't even know that was there. Not Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have known that story like the back of his hand because he was a religious leader, because he was Israel's teacher, because he was a big shot, he would have had the Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would have had all of those memorized, no doubt about it. He probably had the whole Old Testament memorized. So he would have known the story of Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness like the back of his hand. He would have known it. And that story is found in Numbers chapter 21. Basically, Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, man, you're different. You're, we noticed there's something going down with you. You're not like any human being. What are you about? Tell me who you're about. And Jesus looks at him and he tells him, I'm like what took place in Numbers chapter 21. You want to know who I am? Think back to Moses and the snake. Let's read. Let's read it together. Okay, church. Numbers chapter 21, look at verse 4. They had traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. And they, they spoke out against God and against Moses They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Interesting, when you start barking and complaining, you start not making sense. Right, we got no food. But the food we do have, we don't like. Well, I thought you said you don't have any food. They don't even know, they're not, not even making any sense. The people are upset with God, they're upset with Moses. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. 
The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed. And the Lord said to Moses, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anybody was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you wanna know about me? Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness, so I've gotta be lifted up. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's making a comparison at least four things, probably more, but I'm gonna give you four things that I think Jesus is comparing himself to as it relates to the story in Numbers chapter 21. And I think when I'm done, this is gonna be a huge blessing for you. You'll have a greater understanding of the gospel. You'll have a greater understanding of why Jesus came when you understand the, these comparisons. And the first one is this, is that the Israelites, they were bitten by snakes. That, that was their problem. In Numbers chapter 21, God has had it up to here with the sin of the people. They're griping, they're complaining, and so he sends snakes. And people can be walking down the street, and you know, and the next thing you know, a viper is hooked onto their leg, you know, throwing the thing off. People were getting bit. It was horrible. The comparison is that you and I, we, we're not bitten by snakes, but we're bitten by sin. The Israelites were, were bitten by, by snakes, but we've been bitten by sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Go all the way back to Genesis chapters one and two, and you see God creating everything. He creates heavens and the earth and he creates all the stuff and then he finally gets to human beings, Adam and Eve, and he creates us in his image and everything is just beautiful and wonderful. And then you get to Genesis chapter three and Adam makes the decision to disobey God. He sins against God. And in Genesis chapter three, that moment had a cataclysmic impact on everybody. We all sit in this room, over in the venue, watching online, whatever it is, we all sit here now impacted by sin. We've been bitten by sin. Romans chapter five says, for we've all sinned, all of us, we've sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, all of us. Every single one of us. It's one of the things that we all have in common in here. Doesn't matter what, you know, what your age is, doesn't matter you know, what your educational background is, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. The reason why we sent the Grovers to Tanzania is because you can go all the way to Tanzania on an airplane, it's about a 24 hour flight. All the way, you imagine 24 hours in a plane and you finally land and you get to Tanzania and guess what you find there? Sinners, doesn't matter where you go on the globe, you can go anywhere you want. And I think the first comparison that Jesus was making that 
that Nicodemus would have understood is that the people were bitten by snakes. People today are bitten by sin. The second comparison is this. The Israelites, they experienced physical death from the snake's poison. So if you got bit by a snake, this wasn't a garter snake, this was some venomous snake, you pulled that thing out and it didn't take long before that venom made its way through your system and boom, you were dead. There were dead people laying all around the, the towns and the cities. Men that were bitten by snakes, women that were bitten by snakes, children that were bitten by snakes, whole families I'm sure were dying. These just weren't, you know, snakes that bit you and it was no big deal. These were snakes that when they bit you, you died. There was no, you know, snake bite kits. You, you didn't run down to Kaiser, you know, emergency room and say, hey, I got bit by a venomous snake and they gave you some anti-venom. There, there was no cure. You got bit, you knew you were dying. Done. No hope. The comparison is, is that you and I, we experience spiritual death from sin's poison. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death. Physical death, without a doubt, and spiritual death. You see, the reason we die physically is because of sin. This is one of the major consequences of sin. When Adam made the choice to disobey God and sin, it brought death on. Now, he didn't die right away. It took hundreds of years for him to die. But death was inevitable. I was born 57 years ago, and for 57 years, death has just been creeping up on me. I'm decaying. My body de is decaying. The longer I live, the more this body just falls apart. The longer I live, the more Tylenol I consume. <laughs> For no reason. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding, no reason. I'll just wake up and, man, my shoulder hurts. Just because I slept. <laughs> I was like, Man, I slept last night, my shoulder's out. You know, I gotta, give me some ibuprofen, it's weird. Eyes are just getting worse and worse. Can't hear as well as I used to. Can't do the things I used to do. And it all goes back to what happened in Genesis chapter three. Once sin entered into the equation of life, death came, physical death came. You see, not only do we experience physical death, but way more importantly, we experience spiritual death. Physical death didn't happen to Adam for hundreds of years. Spiritual death happened right now. He died spiritually, right now. The relationship between him and God, the one who created him was severed immediately. When I came out of the womb, a process of physical death began, but I was dead immediately, spiritually. It 
See, when Adam sinned, something died inside of him. He died spiritually. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, and it's really interesting. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus is talking to people who were alive. Hey, I came to bring you life. Doesn't he understand I'm alive? He's not talking about physical life. Jesus wasn't a dumb guy. He knew the people were alive. He was talking primarily about spiritual life. I've come to give you life, not physical life. I know you're alive physically. I'm talking about spiritually. You're dead. And I've come to give you an unbelievable life. Ultimately, that life will will experience at a level we can never even imagine when we get to heaven. So in Numbers chapter 21, the people were dying because of the snake's venom. Today, you and I are dying because of sin's venom, if you will. Here's the third comparison. The Israelites, uh, a bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness as a remedy to, to deal with the death that was coming. You got bit. So the people go to Moses. They say, Moses, we've sinned. We've sinned against God. We, we've sinned against you. Please, will you go to God? Tell him we repent of our sin. And what's interesting is God just doesn't take away the snakes, does he? Snakes are still there. (laughs) But what he said was, I'll tell you what I'll do. Moses, I want you to build a a brass snake and I want you to put that brass snake on a pole and then put it, you know, someplace centrally located, I don't know, town square, whatever. And if somebody gets bit by a, a snake, You tell them to go and gaze upon me. I'm the one who create, I'm I'm the God behind the snake. That bronze snake isn't gonna heal anybody. They gotta believe, you know, in in me, the God who created. And so people would get bit and they would come to the snake. God so loved the people that he, he provided a remedy for the problem of the snake and its venom. For you and I, God's only son, Jesus, was lifted up on a cross as a remedy for the death that sin brought. Romans chapter three said, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. God provided a snake, if you will, in Numbers chapter 21. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Romans chapter five says, when we were utterly helpless, People were getting bit. They were utterly helpless. There was nothing they could do. 
They knew we're dying. This venom is gonna take hold of you know, my organs in just minutes. I'm doomed. And God in his perfect timing provides a snake. And here we have, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And God's sovereignty, he doesn't send a snake on a pole, he sends his son to die on a cross for our sins. Jesus said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, God so loved people. He loved them so much back in Numbers chapter 21, he had a remedy. He loves people so much today, he's got a remedy for the, for the real problem. And that is, he's gonna give up his one and only son. He's not gonna put a snake on a pole. He's gonna put his son on a pole. That's what he's gonna do. Here's the deal. One man, Adam, goofed the whole thing up. Someday, I guess, we're gonna get to heaven. I don't know. I look forward to sitting down with Adam. Hey, let's talk. <laughs> Can we kind of dialogue here for a minute? Man, how, how'd you mess that thing up, man? I mean, you know, he's a brother in the Lord. He's gonna be there. He messed the whole thing up, one guy. And one guy, if you will, makes the whole thing better. That's Jesus. He's the one to hang on a pole, hang on a cross for, for our sins. Acts chapter 16 records a, a pretty weighty moment in the life of Paul and Silas. They were in prison for simply telling others about Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 24. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was this massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed all the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and then he brought them out and he asked them, and here it is, this, this, is, this, is, the big, this is the big question. This is a great question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, what do I gotta do? Moses, can you go? We're dying, man. I lost my wife. I lost my husband. I lost my kids. I lost my grandpa. Moses, we're sorry. We go to God. We're dying of this venom. God says, here's what you tell the people. You haven't come to this snake. That's how they can be saved. And today... What a great question. How are we saved from the venom of sin? It's the greatest question anybody can ask. Job basically asked the same question in Job chapter nine. He said, how can a mortal be righteous before God? Isn't that a great question? 
In other words, you know, God, because you're so great and you're so wonderful and so marvelous and so powerful and so holy and so righteous and so pure, you know, how can I ever be right with you? How can I ever have a right relationship with you, man? I got sin running through my veins. Job knew, Job had a conscience. He knew he had said things that were crummy. He knew he had done things that were crummy. He had thought things that were crummy. Yes, he was a righteous man, there's no doubt about it. But he knew that he had sin running through his veins. And he's asking this great question, is it possible that I, a mere human, could somehow be righteous enough to stand before you? And the answer is yes. Thousands of years ago, a bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness as a remedy for the death that snakes brought. Today, God's only son, Jesus Christ, was lifted up on a cross as a remedy for the death that sin brought. Jesus can make you holy. Jesus can make you righteous, you see? And now we get to the last comparison. The Israelites had to believe in God's remedy, the, the bronze snake, to be cured of the deadly poison of the snake. Had to believe. I have no doubt that people were getting bit. Oh! Daddy, get to the bronze snake! You gotta go to the bronze snake! Son, that's just an old wives' tale. Really? You think I'm gonna go look at a bronze snake? You see, just because there was a bronze snake sitting on a pole in the middle of town didn't mean if you got bit by the snake, somehow you were cured. You actually had to you know, get to that snake and you had to believe in the God who, who put it there. You had to believe in what God had said. You had to trust that God was going to keep his promise. And then you were healed. But I have no doubt that there were a lot of people bitten who just said, man, I don't need it. I don't need that snake. I'll be fine. Dead. And they were dead not because God was ungracious, not because God was mean or, or angry or God didn't love them. They died because they simply chose not to get to the bronze snake and believe. They simply made the choice not to go to the bronze snake and put their faith in what God had said. They were dying because they chose to die. And the comparison that I think Jesus is making is this, is that we have to believe in God's remedy, Jesus Christ, to be cured of the poison of sin. We gotta believe. Just because Jesus hung on a cross doesn't mean that, you know, everybody's sin has somehow been forgiven. Romans chapter one says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, Jesus Christ hanging on a cross is what can save you, but it does go on to say, it's the salvation of everyone who believes. I can't tell you how many people I've told, man, you're dying in your sins. 
But the good news is, is that God, God's got a snake on a pole, so to speak. The good news is, is God has a remedy for it, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's crazy. You really believe in that stuff? That book's old, man. And they leave my office, or they leave our coffee appointment, or whatever it is, and they make the choice to die in their sin. God was gracious to them. He sent his son. God was gracious to them in that they're sitting down with me, talking to me about how to be saved, and they're, they're just blowing it all off. People do it every day. You see, for us, it's all about faith, faith, faith. The whole Christian life can be summed up in this one word. All other religions of the world have this idea of do and you'll be saved. If you, if you do certain things and God will be pleased with you. But the Christian life says, no, believe, receive, have faith and you'll be saved. Romans chapter 10 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who got to the snake, oh God, thank you for providing this. They were saved. Anybody who comes to the cross and says, thank you, God, I believe that you are the son of God coming into my life. They'll be saved. Anybody. The great prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 13, he said, can an Ethiopian change his skin color or a leopard its spots? And the answer is no. An Ethiopian can't change the color of his skin. I can't change the color of mine. Uh, a leopard can't change, you know, its spots, can't, can't do it. A Bengal tiger can't change the its, its stripes, can't, can't do it. And neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. This is so vivid, you can't miss what God's saying. We as human beings do not have the ability to take care of our problem of sin, the venom of sin that's running through our systems. We cannot deal with it on our own. It's impossible. It only happens when you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. It happens when you put your faith your trust in Christ. And here's the good news. God's salvation is available to everyone, absolutely everyone, liars and cheaters and thieves and robbers and murderers and rapists and drug dealers and dopers and prostitutes, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, the self-righteous, the greedy, the proud, the selfish. God's salvation is available to absolutely anybody who gets to the bronze snake, who gets to the cross and puts their trust in God's remedy for the problem that we all have. Now let me quickly add this. True saving faith will always be accompanied by good works or a transformed life. In other words, if you truly understand the problem that your sin brought to your life and you really understand what it took for your sins to be washed clean, you know, the death of Jesus Christ, then your life's gonna change. Don't you think that if back in Numbers 21, if somebody was bitten, you know, by a viper and they got to the snake and they said, oh God, I believe, I believe you, God, that you're gonna heal me. And the next thing you know, after time, you know, they lived 
Don't you think they stopped griping and complaining a little bit? Don't you think that they were gracious? Don't, don't you think their life probably changed? Don't you think that when God provided the remedy and all these people were being cured of the problem that these vipers were causing in their, in their life and their town and society, that, that those that, that whose lives were changed, don't you think it made a difference? I think it did. And the same thing is true for us. We've been bitten with sin and we were doomed, we were dying. And now that we know Christ, if we truly know him, don't you think it'll make a difference in our lives? Now, we're, gonna, we're not gonna live it out perfectly. We're not gonna live out the Christian life perfectly. Nobody does. I certainly don't. But it's certainly gonna make some sort of difference in our lives. So here in John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he asks a, a number of questions. It's obvious that God is working in his heart. Now, I think he left this meeting still having lots of questions, still not really fully embracing who Jesus was. But I know he kept pondering it because something happens to him. John chapter 19 records what happened after Jesus was crucified. He's hanging on a cross and it says this in verse 38. Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he probably feared Nicodemus, he was one of those Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down the, uh, the body of Jesus. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. And with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night he brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. I think after Jesus explained that he was like the snake lifted up in the wilderness, I think Nicodemus went and he kept pondering this, he kept thinking about it, and something clicked. God opened his eyes to the truth, and here we have Nicodemus, probably two years after his encounter in John chapter three, there he is. I don't care what anybody thinks. I get it. I, he was lifted up, he, he's now, he now saw it. And he's thinking back, just as a snake was lifted up, there's Jesus lifted up. Whoa, whoa, I get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God didn't send the bronze snake to bring condemnation. The people were already condemned. They were being bitten by snakes. He, he sent this to save people. And God didn't send his son Jesus Christ into the world to condemn people. He didn't need to. We were already condemned. Sin had already bitten us. He sent Jesus into the world to save us. He put Jesus on the cross to save us. And if you know him, if you've truly given your life to him, then he's cleansed you of the venom of sin. And if you don't know him, you're sitting here alive physically, but you already know you're decaying, you know it, but you're dead spiritually. 
In fact, some of you are dead spiritually to the degree you don't even believe in God. You could walk into the altar room right over here or over in the venue, <clears throat> and you could talk to one of our elders, one of our spiritual leaders, and they'd love to lead you in a prayer where you invite the Lord into your life. I, I, I imagine that there were people who got bit by a snake, and maybe they were a mile away, and God said you had to get to the snake. And God knew their hearts. God knew, hey, they're on their way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure they don't die until they get there. I'm sure there were some people who had to walk quite a ways to get to that snake to be cured. All I'm asking you to do is walk about 40, I don't know, 40 yards, maybe 20, 30 yards. That's all you gotta do is walk 30 yards. Over in the venue, you gotta walk about 10 yards to get into the altar room. That's all I'm asking you to do. And some of you will. I believe that. But there will be some of you, nah, I don't need it. I don't want it. That's ridiculous. And you'll make that choice. Why don't you stand over in the venue? Why don't you stand? Let me pray. And so, Lord, thank you, God, for our time here today. I, I just love music and love singing and I love Lord, seeing some of our, our family members serving in faraway lands like the Grovers here, Lord, and their family. Blessings on them, Lord. Watch over them. May they have just a great few months of rest and relaxation and good appointments with churches and leaders, Lord. Pray for those that are gonna be in prime time. May they just have a great time with this wonderful family. And thank you, Lord, for your word, how rich it is. Barely scratched the surface of all that I read today. Scripture is so rich and deep. May the people have a great time this week studying John 3 on their own. Thank you, Lord, for putting Jesus on a cross to save us, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, if you're brand new, you've never been to Big Valley Grace before, I'm gonna be standing right down here. Come, come and introduce yourself to me, okay? Maybe it's your first or second time, all right? Blessings.